Welcome to TV7 Israel's podcast. We invite you to listen and share our latest content from Israel and the region. Shalom and welcome to Powers in Play, our monthly roundup of uh, regional and mostly global perspectives as seen from our unique vantage point here at Israel's capital. And we have uh, with us, uh, as almost always, Ambassador and former Deputy Foreign Minister Daniel Elon. Welcome. Thank you. And our own special cabal, our special Junta of three reserve colonels, <laughs> Miri Eisen, Dr. Aran Lerman, and Ruven Ben Shalom. You all have also academic credentials, which hopefully we will go into later, if the need be. And uh, today uh, we are renaming our program in honor of the latest uh, Oscar winner. Everything, everywhere, all at once. So, not really, but it seems as if this could be an appropriate uh, title for what has happened um, lately in the world and um, in the Middle East. Danny, let me start with you. If you must. I I must and I insist on it. Um, We have seen recently uh, a Chinese success in the Middle East in mediating between Saudi Arabia and Iran, getting them uh, to uh, return to what they considered normalcy seven years ago by announcing that they will reopen uh, embassies. uh, And perhaps down the road, uh, we will see even better relations. Does that mean that the uh, Saudis have decided not to put all of their eggs in the American basket as they always threaten to do, but up to now have not really been doing? And does that mean that Iran sees here a way to push the Americans out of the region, even if the Americans have been saying that they are pivoting east? Well, Amir, the short uh, answer to both questions is yes. The, 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 the Saudis has been quite disappointed with the Americans for um, at least a decade, um, more than a decade. Actually, it started with Obama's um, um, administration when Hillary Clinton, his secretary of state, she coined this, uh, this um, word pivoting towards, uh, towards the east. And this was the first block that fell out of the Saudi American relationship. And um, since then, they have seen that the Americans were quite weak when it came to the JCPOA. The Saudis, as you know, together with Israel, we wanted a much stronger, longer, stronger, and tougher, much more um, uh, accountability with the JCPOA. And um, hence also, you know, one of the ramifications was uh, actually warming relations with Israel 
to uh, actually fill the slack for the American void, the big American void. If you recall, just a year or so ago, when Biden, President Biden, came over to the to the region, um, quite a cool uh, reception in uh, in Riyadh, and more than that, there was a real slap in the face that after this visit, when he asked the Saudis to increase the output of uh, oil to bring down prices because of the Ukrainian uh, war, the resounding answer was no. Uh, the, there is no um, trust almost left between Riyadh and, and Washington. Uh, after Khashoggi, uh, the Saudis thought, well, the, the Americans will have to go through the motions, reprimand them, but we'll go over it. Well, they didn't, especially not the democratic regime of, of Biden. That stung uh, MBS, he's the one calling the shots now in uh, in Riyadh, the uh, heir, heir apparent, and they realized that now they have to, as you mentioned, kind of diversify, not just with China, also with Russia, and we know that, and this is a, uh, a big coup for the Chinese. I am, uh, as, as Israeli, I'm very disappointed because if the United States' uh, prestige and political power diminishes, it affects adversely directly on Israel as well. You have been um, uh, close to um, senior officials, to decision makers, both um, in the government and in the military. Is that really personal, what Danny just uh, described? Is it uh, the animosity between uh, Biden, who uh, called uh, MBS uh, a murderer, uh, and the, uh, the Saudi prince? Uh, is that the way nations make their decisions? Um, it is also the way that ma- nations make decisions. It's certainly not the only way. Um, I think that we can all say clearly that under President Obama and at the time Prime Minister Netanyahu in a former stage, there were not exactly what you would call warm relations between the leaders. And yet we had one of the most in-depth, the most intimate security relationships that we've ever had with the United States. So you can have rhetoric and that lack of um, people trying to get along, and yet it can continue. When it comes to Saudi Arabia, I think that the U.S. right now is in a challenge spot and I put it there. You don't only have relationships with nice democracies that you agree with. And for those who think that you actually cut off ties because countries are dictatorships, go look at the list of all of the countries that whoever where you're watching right now in the world, you have relationships with dictatorships and not only with democracies. Saudi Arabia in that sense and Saudi Arabia, Iran are both very harsh regimes. I sit here in this crowd is the only woman. And I say that it makes a difference when women come to Saudi Arabia or for that matter to Iran, we have to dress in a specific way. And it doesn't matter if we're the Secretary of State or the you know president. And, and so do we acknowledge that or not? Both of those countries have exceedingly um, conservative, strict Islamic type of regimes. So when I look at those relations and I say it makes a difference, but it's not the whole story. You're always going to have direct contacts between professionals, between the ambassadors, between additional people, so that you want to build a long-term relationship, so that if you do have contradictions between the top level, it doesn't break everything up. And I think with Saudi Arabia, it has been a very gradual challenge. But at the end, what does the United States of America and Saudi Arabia have in common, and excuse moi, except for oil? Mary, enjoy your freedom to dress as you please, as long as it lasts. Hey, at least around this table, I will have my place. Well, we will uh, reconsider. We didn't ask you to sing. 
Not yet. <laughs> now, Iran, um, you have been uh, a senior officer with the Israeli Directorate of Military Intelligence, as well as with the National Security Staff. And um, one suspects that you are among the very few whose hobby is to read the annual threat assessment of the American intelligence community uh, in its unclassified version. Uh, this time around it was, well, maybe classified, you got uh, access to, um, all 40 pages. And we have seen the national uh, director of intelligence and the CIA director and the others appear um, in the Senate Intelligence Committee. Not one of them foresaw no. the Iranian-Saudi agreement. Right. Although, you know, uh, things were happening uh, well before the uh, actual announcement in Beijing, or the, the, before that Medvikani was in Beijing to, to finalize the, the deal. But uh, the, the Saudis were talking about a Gulf-Iranian reconciliation meeting in Beijing already when she met with the Gulf leaders uh, late last year. This is not entirely new. The Americans were surely kept uh, uh, informed in detail but there's about, a difference the, about between, the Saudi between the Iranian negotiations but in Danny, Iraq. There's a difference <laughs> between the potential and the actual um, and, and the prediction of whether this will come. Well, to uh, it, it, you can also say that you have to separate here between the symbolism, and I totally agree with Danny. This was MB, uh, Mohammed bin Salman's way of leaving five raw red fingers on Biden's face. That's, that's a message. But on substance, does this actually change the balance of great power influence in the Gulf? Here, the situation is a bit more complicated because the Saudi military rests entirely on American support. It cannot be replaced by, the, by a, a Chinese life support system. The Emiratis, uh, our newly found friends and trade partners and peace partners, uh, and the Bahrainis, uh, but particularly the uh, the Emiratis, uh, are also talking to the Iranians. The Emiratis have an embassy, despite the fact that uh, actually three Emirati islands have been under Iranian occupation since the days of the Shah in the 1970s. So um, the, the, the idea that um, you maintain relations, diplomatic relations, even with people you heartily dislike and distrust, is uh, very much part of diplomatic life generally, and certainly diplomatic life in this region. So let's separate the, the symbolism of the act and its circumstances and its, the secrecy under which it was concocted in order to signal to the Biden administration that there's a cost to their policies. And the act, whether China has actually become now the patron power of the Gulf states, far from it. Ruben, um, you have a lot of experience not only with the Israeli Air Force, but also in liaison with foreign militaries, especially now with the Central Command, uh, CENTCOM. Um, and perhaps uh, we have been looking uh, at this issue as Iran uh, uh, just uh, ticked off the uh, sub-issues from the wrong end of the binoculars. Um, the um, Saudis know that they have to rely on the Americans for their response to the Iranian threat. But if they believe that this response will never be sufficient, maybe what they had to do and did was try to make the threat recede. 
I think it's their role to make the threat recede. That means they have to be multidimensional, like we Israelis love this word, multidimensional. <clears throat> I don't think that what we see now is a realignment or a recalculation of strategic goals. Uh, look at the Saudis. They have a, a, an arch enemy in Iran. They're afraid of Iran. They're, they're troubled from the prospects that will become nuclear. They do anything they can to, to curtail that and to bridge, uh, bridge those gaps and makes alliances with the United States and Israel, a lot of it under the radar. The fact that they open an embassy now means nothing. It just means that they're continuing to do what they need to do to look after their interests. Another in in issue we have to see is that what did we expect? The, the Saudis and the Iranians to go to the Americans to broker this? Americans can't talk to the Iranians. I don't see this as a shift in this specific point. I don't see this as a shift now from the United States to China. China was in a good uh, position here because they can talk to the Iranians to do it. So I don't see that at all. Another issue is as, as a military officer for years, I tried to break away understanding that the military is a small component of national security, even though in Israel we many times view it as being everything. And it's not. It's just a small component. On the other hand, many times when you look at strategic cooperation, missile defense, and deep intelligence, things that are going on, and you see the rhetoric between diplomats, sometimes it seems like the diplomacy is shallow. And Danny, don't, don't be angry with me. Not at all. Diplomacy, by the way, is critical. And in my view, much we have to bring it to a much more important position. But sometimes you have to look at what's happening now on the ground. Even the issue of the perception of the United States leaving the region. Of course, they're not leaving the region. So militarily, strategically, we are all in alignment from intelligence to preparing the capability to defend. Iran, um, a staple of, of horror movies <laughs> like uh, Friday the 13th or, or, or Elm Street or any of those franchises. Powers and play. Yeah. <laughs> or powers and play. Is that after the murderous villain is finally beaten to death and buried... All of a sudden, the audience, um, with its sigh of relief, sees that, no, he's up and running again. And, um, of course, the shrieks uh, are heard all over. The JCPOA, the uh, <laughs> Joint Comprehensive uh, Plan of Action, Horrible. has been announced dead on arrival and then uh, dead again. Um, could it be? that China, being uh, one of the parties to the original deal in 2015, um, could now uh, be resuscitating uh, the deal. And we have seen some other um, signs, uh, even though Iran is supplying Russia with drones for the Ukraine war, even though the Biden administration is very harsh in its condemnation of human rights abuses in Iran, there has been a prisoner exchange deal in the works, yeah, and maybe I know one of them personally. And maybe the um, the JCPOA um, uh, will be with us again. Whether it's the villain or the hero remains to be seen. Well, I'm not sure that the Chinese can deliver on the JCPOA because at the core of the JCPOA question are American sanctions, which are still in place. And without uh, the consent of the Biden administration, and that, I can find it very difficult to believe that the Chinese can actually lead the Americans back into the JCPOA. 
But I agree that the impact of the human rights crisis in Iran is receding because the regime has been able to survive this, uh, so far and, and, and break the back so far of, uh, of the uh, resistance, the women's resistance, uh, popular resistance. Uh, and so uh, this is one of the elements in the Saudi calculation. If, if some time ago it may have it seemed perhaps that the regime uh, could be on its last legs, this is not the situation. You have to bear in mind also that the, uh, the war that drove Saudi Arabia and, and uh, Iran uh, at each other's throats uh, in Yemen has been stabilized as a loss. I mean, it, nobody can win it, and, and so it has stabilized to some degree. So things are off the table, but the JCPOA remains an American decision. And given the intensity of American-Chinese rivalry right now, which is reflected in not only in the American intelligence assessment, which, which makes China central, but also in the huge increase in the American defense budget, uh, largely driven by uh, China as a um, peer rival and pace setter, uh, I find it very difficult to see the Biden administration coming into the fold within a Chinese initiative. Now, Miri, we have been uh, borrowing from popular culture here over the last uh, several minutes. Uh, none of you uh, is to blame. Um, so let's take another one. Another there horror movie. Yes. Okay. Yeah, there, there is a... Um, a TV series, uh, Two and a Half Men. Okay. Now... I couldn't be in it, but okay. Okay. Now, uh, are we living, are you going to live in a two and a half superpower world? We live right now as we're listening to that in that sense. The United States of America is still out there, still a superpower. The fact that they're not the same as they were doesn't mean that they're not a superpower. But we're looking around now, now, not just about China. We don't talk about Russia. Certainly that's Russia the, sees that's itself. The that's the half. But Russia sees itself as a superpower. And some of it has to do with perception and how you send that on and out. Russia is still in the Middle East also. It's not that they have gone away and disappeared from the Middle East. China is in the Middle East in a vastly different way than the United States or Russia as the half. The United States is here militarily, diplomatically, economically, oil, resources, it's here. China is overwhelmingly here economically and resources and diplomatically. We don't actually see Chinese military hardware the way that we see the U.S. or, for that matter, the, the, the Russian as it used to be. When I look around right now, I'm wondering about the issues of stability. What does a world look like with the two and a half? What does that do to stability? China, coming from my point of view through the eyes of economy, through the eyes of infrastructure, to its own way in investment, really wants stability. It's much better for them to be able to wander on and in. They bring stability by doing things like that. It's not like the United States doesn't want stability, but the United States has additional issues on the table that they have to stand up for. So the, the half, by the way, um, I'm worried about the half. I think that they have a lot to say in the Middle East and that we haven't talked about it. And then in that sense, the Saudi, Iranian, Chinese, and I'm like, hello, Russia, where does that bite into it? 
And so when it comes together in that sense, two and a half does not make a stabilizing situation, not in the Middle East and not on the other fronts. I'm worried that if this gets to Vladimir Putin and he hears that we call them half, he will be very insulted and we will see repercussions. As I've been the one who stood in a room with him, and I want to tell our viewers, I'm not standing up right now, that I'm taller than him. Now that half can say whatever he wants, right? I think he has yeah. already boycotted the uh, powers in play. It's <laughs> not broadcast in, in Russia. <laughs> that's, that's why um, it's been said that he doesn't get the best information possible. Look, uh, half, frankly, it depends what you measure. If you look at the nuclear arsenal, they are... Absolutely. First, if you look at the size of the economy, They are a mid-sized power, smaller than South Korea. And you can't build an empire on that base. If you look at the size of an army, they are willing... You're talking about halves or rising three quarters. Let's not forget that there's an India out there, which is fast catching up with the Chinese in numbers, probably will pass them in this coming decade, and uh, is already a nuclear power with regional connections. And you, you can play the Saudi-Iranian uh, game that the Chinese have played against the um, Western Quad or the I2U2, which the Indians have helped create with Israel and the Emirates. So the game is afoot, as Sherlock would have said. Danny, you've spent years in Washington. Uh, you've seen presidents and congresses come and go. How is the uh, political uh, timetable now that uh, we are less than two years um, from the presidential and congressional uh, elections of 2024? How is the, does that come into play in the calculations of the Biden administration as it looks, for instance, on the Chinese-Saudi-Iranian move? So now, Amir, you're offering a comic uh, relief. You know, we're talking about the elections and Trump is, a, is, is the major clown, as it seems now. I think that uh, more and more people understand that uh, his time has come and gone. Uh, has he? Uh, no, he has not. He has not. But all you have to do is look at the difference from now and, and 2016. You know, where he would fill up stadiums, you know, with the tens of thousands and the dynamic and the momentum was with him. Now it's quite uh, the contrary <coughs> to the, um, I would say, to the effect that uh, Biden himself thinks of uh, rerunning. Uh, he says that he was the one who uh, beat him, the only one who beat him before in 2020. He can do it again, even if he does not. Um, uh, get the, the nomination, Biden seems to be quite confident that with the results of the economy, and we must uh, look honestly into the uh, reality, and we can say, you know, with all the challenges, global challenges that we have, and we have a lot, uh, you know, with the supply chain and, in, and, and supply-driven uh, inflation and all that, the American economy is quite steady and it's quite strong. Um, as we mentioned, now they're gearing up to uh, actually to stem out any superiority that the Chinese might think that they can that they can gain. And uh, it seems like the Republicans are pretty much in disarray. So Biden, but this is this is uh, politics, but how much does foreign policy or how much does national security come into play? You mentioned personalities and the economy. Um, Is it important um, to Biden 
to show some successes in foreign policy um, by the summer of 2024? Unfortunately, not very much. As you know, Amir, American elections are being decided on the economy, economy stupid, and, uh, and nothing else. Of course, if you get some prestige by uh, making some peace, you know, look at Carter, poor Jimmy Carter. He had the best success in Camp David 1978, peace with Egypt and, and Israel. He lost the elections. But because this was too remote from uh, election maybe. time. Yeah, should maybe. should yeah. have done it a couple of months before the election. Right. I'll tell you, what is now, I mean, from a strategic point of view, at the table, you know, at the desk of, of Biden, is how to maintain American influence and superiority worldwide, understanding that the Chinese actually are now at his heels. Americans would tell you, American strategists, and we have here many strategists, is that control over the seas and waterways is the most important, is the one first element for a global influence. The Chinese do not have quite the Navy now to challenge the Americans, but alas, they are bringing, they are building now feverishly um, carriers, you know. Uh, Aircraft carriers. Which shows, you know, what is their plan. And they have a very, very ordered But you know plan. that an aircraft carrier is the weapon of the past. It, it can be sunk um, very quickly and very easily and by unless, various missiles. Unless you have Israeli ballistic missile defense. Of on course, the of course. That, that changes the whole game. <laughs> I want to tell you a story and also to uh, Miri, how the Chinese think. I remember about 12, 10 years ago, I'm getting a call at the time I was at the foreign office. They, there is a Chinese envoy to the Middle East. Never heard of a Chinese able to, you know, there was the European one, there was, the, of course, the American, the Russian one. Trying to create a quintet. Yes, all of a sudden, a China, of course, you know, we have Two to receive him, you know, I thought it's going to be just a, um, you know, uh, normal okay. diplomatic. But he was quite, uh, you know, briefed into the details. We we thought it was just a, 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 a nothing, you know, Robin uh, Curiosity, it was just a... Curiosity, novelty. Curiosity, yeah. novelty. But if you look, you know, they're going, you know, pace after pace. And, you know, it's they start commercially and, and economically with infrastructure. You know, infrastructure is very important. And obviously they didn't meet the right man in Jerusalem. <laughs> and now what we see with this agreement with the, with the Saudi and, the, and Iran, that they are really moving in into the thick of things here. It's a very complex thing. And without the power, neither Iran nor Saudi Arabia would have um, yielded to the pressure. And what I understand, there was enormous pressure by uh, the, the president, uh, Xi Ping, on, on the two of them. And they brag a great, great success. They are not quite there. The Americans, you know, I think the good thing is that the Americans pretty much have enough lead time to really <laughs> counter the, uh, the, the Chinese. And if I have to bet, the United States will stay the superpower, the, I would say, almost the only superpower. But you never bet with your own money. That's the problem. <laughs> <laughs> Even when you win bets. Uh, uh, Ruben, let me ask you. Um, we have three bigger powers, not perhaps all of them superpowers. We have the United States, China, and Russia. What does it mean for the system of alliances? Of course, some members of these alliances are not really partners, they are clients. But are we going uh, to see a shift in the general scheme of how global alliances are built and operate? 
I think that what we're going to see is more and more the Chinese philosophy that you don't align with someone and that's it. Uh, it's not like you have your friends and you have your enemies and that's it. But you have your own calculation, your own interests, and now you do business with everybody. I would even say that in, in the Middle East way of doing business with Israel, with a boycott on Israel, it's, it's, we, we always perceive it as like, I don't talk to him, right? Unfortunately, Israelis, the very few times that I was in the United Nations, I wanted to go and shake the hand of some Iranian diplomat and everybody says, no, 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 don't do that. And in a way, I think the world will change. Yes, I can, I should be able to go and shake the hand of a diplomat of a country we don't even have in relations and argue, have a good, healthy argument. So I see the Chinese always doing that. And why? Because their interest is to do business here, right? To make a lot of money in the Middle East with oil and whatsoever. So they will talk to everybody. Now you say, wait, how are you friends with them? Aren't you friends with me? They'll look at you. What are you talking about? I think that's what we're going to see. Look at Israel. Uh, especially with Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu that likes to push this narrative of being such a good friend of Putin, or at least he used to. Now he's very careful. So are we good friends with Russia? No, we talk to Russia. We align with Russia when we need to technically on the ground. We have good lines of communication, so we have also a mechanism for deconfliction in Syria because they are here. So this is my prediction of how countries will more look at it in a calculated manner, less matter of values, when I say values, I look at Miri. I don't know why. And Wait a moment. I'm going to step and, in right, on that one so, there. So I'm saying, yes, values, but also, you know, you make peace with enemies. You don't naturally align with everything they stand for and everything they do. But that's the way I think it's going to be in this new three-pronged um, uh, power. Could you hold your thought? I, yes, I would like go to. Go for it. Now, Iran, Iran, I know Iran. He brought his answers from home. But nevertheless, <laughs> I, w- I want to, to ask you, um, following on what uh, Reuven just said. Uh, Russia is in Syria. Uh, Israel is deconflicting with it. Israel uh, and Syria are um, sworn enemies. Officially, Syria is one of uh, five or six official enemy states. Israelis are not allowed to go into and so on and so forth. Israel is holding on to the Golan Heights. Iran is not, by the way. It's very strange. (coughs) Could Russia play a role between Syria and Israel the way China did between Iran and Saudi Arabia? I doubt it very much right now. Uh, No Israeli in his right mind would offer any concessions to the sanguinary, murderous regime in in Syria. We are under no pressure by anyone to do it. There's no motivation to do it. Assad is deterred from war the same way his father was. Uh, We haven't fought each other since we volunteered to go into Lebanon and meet them there. They have not come at us for more than for nearly 50 years this is there's no i don't see this is not the palestinian situation which is bleeding this is a stabilized relationship that there, there's very little incentive for either side to go into uh, peacemaking adventures and now the commentary you brought from no, home. But, uh, <laughs> not so much from home but i think what drives the chinese is not just economic gain there's also another side to it, and there's always been that side. And this is why, uh, for example, I, I also met the, the Chinese envoy in 2011, and they yes. were terrified. <laughs> they were terrified by the Arab Spring. They saw this as something that could spread uh, further east. And, 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 to the Uyghurs. And, 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 and even to uh, other societies under repression. The, a country on the rise like China is obsessed with stability. They don't want international conflict to erupt. 
Uh, Ukraine is for them a major embarrassment. They are on Putin's side, but if they could, they would roll history back. They would have asked him not to do it. They, for them, any destabilization is dangerous. And the way to handle destabilization is to knock together the heads of their fifth degree friends. You know that China has a system, one, two, three, four, and five. Five is the top, top of the list strategic friend. Israel, by the way, is at category three. Iran and Saudi Arabia for years have been category five uh, for the Chinese. So Be- that's because make- of oil. Because of oil and because they see them as the keys to stability in the region. Um, not everything that the Chinese do in this respect is negative from my perspective. The investment in Egyptian stability, for example, is a major Israeli interest. Really? Powers in play, two and a half, three and a half, four and a half. Um, we've talked both about the stability and about how China could be challenged by that. Let, let's take that for a moment as we're looking at our powers in play and bring in a different kind of player. Because here in the Middle East and North Africa, I always wonder about the player we don't talk about, meaning not the regimes, not the term of Arab Spring, but that enormous undercover youth bulge of the greater Middle East and North Africa. And how does the Saudi-Iranian agreement under the Chinese help that? Chinese, China does not have young people. China is not growing. China mm. is coming slightly. It's peaking. Yeah. It's peaking in that sense. And here we are in this greater arena where we have enormous populations of youth, vastly different from these world powers that we're talking about. And how does that turn things onto the head? Because I really do wonder in that sense when you talked about what China wants to do and how China would like to do so. And I'm thinking to myself, and what are the people of the Middle East and North Africa that we never ask what the people want, right? Okay, they're not asked about things, but they have come out and in droves and all over the place. We're in an era, in a, in a, still in an era of instability within the Middle East and North Africa. And, and the stable one has been more or less Saudi Arabia, not Iran. Iran has gone through all sorts of different challenges over the, the last decade or so. And I put that into there because if China wants stability, that means that they need to invest in Iran, not necessarily in Saudi Arabia. And I wonder where that will take us. Mm-hmm. Now, Danny, and then I'll, I'd like to ask um, the rest. Um, you have been uh, the political advisor to prime ministers. And um, in addition to your other official duties, try to... Um, Uh, simulate, regardless of the fact that Netanyahu is now the prime minister, a nominal, a notional prime minister, and you're his chief staff officer. What are your two, three, four points Mm -hmm. as you brief him on what is happening now with global powers um, looking at the Middle East and moving around? Okay, so the facts are the facts. He knows the facts. What is the insight? One insight I would draw, which maybe could be counterintuitive, is that there may be a good thing coming out of the Saudi-Iran uh, rapprochement. Why? Because just as this agreement is important to Saudi Arabians, it's also very important to the Iranians. That means that maybe we have now more leverage through the Saudis on the Iranians regarding the nuclear. Saudis, of course, see uh, the nuclear program in Iran as, as just through our eyes as well. So maybe there could be a little bit of a let up over there. So I would say here that uh, we certainly should double down on our uh, efforts to get closer 
to the Saudis, number one. Secondly is, of course, there is no um, substitute to the United States as, as we know it. And uh, with the Chinese, unfortunately, we are locked in the U.S. in such a way that we cannot do anything vis-a-vis the Chinese. So look at it as a given. Don't do anything vis-a-vis China. You know, we have the commercial things as well. But now concentrate on Riyadh and Washington. Miri, you have been on both sides of the term information. You have been a pro- an intelligence professional, uh, distilling intelligence reports for your superiors. They are very busy. They can't read the lengthy reports. They want the bottom line. But you all have also been on the public information side. How would you um, suggest to um, the cabinet, for instance, to look at uh, this uh, latest event? Is it a crisis or an opportunity? Most definitely an opportunity and one that we also need to minimize. Not everything is about us. And the fact that we're highlighting what's about us is very Israeli. But there are, as Danny said before, elements in this that a rapprochement, changes within the Middle East are not always bad for us. And we don't always have to touch everything and say everything and blame each side for what this means. We're looking for this rapprochement with Saudi Arabia that's not going to happen. then let's see if this can have an impact on Iran, but not just on Iran. We live within this greater Middle East. Saudi Arabia and Iran live in a challenging neighborhood that we're part of, and I absolutely think that in that sense, we want to look at it as something. Let's not make the, the fire too high, bring it down to earth, and not just look at it through our very narrow Israeli eyes, but how Sauds and Iranians can benefit from something that could bring more stability. Dr. Lerman. former Deputy National Security Advisor, the Prime Minister rings you up and says, I have five minutes, our show less, has less than that. Give me the gist. Talk to the Americans. <coughs> They won't answer the my, my phone. <laughs> That's something else, yeah. That's, no, uh, if, if there's one lesson from, from all of this, uh, amidst the turmoil country, currently, uh, Israel is, is engulfed It is that we should set all other issues aside, concentrate very clearly on the Iranian challenge, on the um, dialogue with the United States over this question, and on the channels of communication that we have and will continue to have with Saudi Arabia and certainly openly with other Gulf uh, countries to fully understand the implications of what's happening. And the challenge, of course, for us is to sustain a credible threat on the Iranians because that's the one if, if the Chinese are going to actually leverage the Iranians uh, away from having the bomb, <coughs> they will do so only under duress. So you would not uh, suggest that Israel send its own commandos or mercenaries masquerading as Iranians to, uh, to sabotage Saudi facilities. Mm-hmm. Well, that's another movie plot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, Reuven, um, CENTCOM, the Central Command, must analyze what is happening here. Does it affect uh, their plans? They have concentrated on uh, what happens in the maritime domain. The Fifth Fleet uh, has been training and uh, building a new task force with unmanned um, maritime vehicles 
should they change anything now that the Saudis and the Iranians seem to be uh, a bit going back from their confrontation? Well, first, I don't think they're going back on the confrontation. They're just playing it smart. And I think the confrontation is building. The rivalry is there. And what I see CENTCOM doing, I think they should do even more. And that's build, we used to call it coalition, okay, but build a regional capability of merging information and merging capability, really fusing almost the picture, looking at the same screen, the same picture. As far as Israel, I think what we need to do is to make ourselves an asset. Everything we do, everything we say, we have to be an asset. Militarily we are, intelligence we are. We have to try to do it modestly and continue to contribute as much as possible. So today we don't have to convince CENTCOM how, vi- how valuable we are. We are. We also have to uh, not uh, speak overtly about things we're going to do. That's, that would be my recommendation to the government, for instance. What do you mean? This is what this program is all about. <laughs> we, like to, we like to brag and, and we like to, uh, like our prime minister, for instance, every time he says, yeah, we're going to get a deal with Saudi Arabia, I think that furthers the deal with Saudi Arabia. Talk less, do more, under the radar, do the right thing, contribute what you can to this regional front towards Iran that I don't see a change in. That was also a plot of a movie about Israel that doesn't exist. Each of you has five uh, seconds to give a yes, no, or maybe answer. Israeli internal strife has an effect on what we talked about? Yes. Miri? No. Yes, because democracy is the tool for Biden to build the anti-Chinese coalition. That's one word. I say absolutely yes, because it erodes what I talked about now. The perception of being an asset is being eroded as we speak. Yes. Reuven Ben Shalom, Iran Lerman, Miri Eisen, Daniel Elon, thank you very much. And we will be back for another edition of Powers in Play next month. Shalom from Jerusalem. Thank you for joining us in another TV7 Israel podcast. For more content, visit our website at tv7israelnews.com or follow us on social media.